Today our scripture comes from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of your God the Father. Excuse me. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God your Father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am, in, I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he commanded them and spoke kindly to them. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you praising you that you are you are there, you are the God in the storms, you are the God who works all things according to your plan and for the good of your people. We praise you because you are the God uh, who who causes all blessings to flow to us. And so we now return to you a portion of what you have blessed us with in this life and ask that you would use these tithes, these gifts, and these offerings for the furtherance of your kingdom in this world, that all might come to know and hear of the wonderful good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we prepare to come now before your word and seek in it to see Jesus, we pray that you would help us, that you would guide us, that by your spirit you would take your word and apply it to our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Please be seated. Right now we're going through a series this summer, uh, a series that's taking us through some different portions of the Old Testament. And we're doing it so that we can look, we can look with confidence at Scripture and see that every part of it breathes and whispers the name of Jesus to us. And so we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 50 this morning, the passage that we read earlier. Um, I am one of those guys um, who saves every manual to every technological piece of machinery that I have. And so I have cluttered up files uh, underneath a cabinet in my house with all these manuals, uh, manuals to the printer, to the TV, to the DVD player, the weed eater, the computer, everything. I save them all um, and all cluttering up and just a mess. But um, I hold on to these manuals because I know two things. Um, On the one hand, I am very aware that I am not technologically savvy. Um, I wish that I was, and I'm jealous of people that are, because there are some people, you know, who are just so intuitive, and they can just figure it out. They don't even need the manual. Um, That's not me. I can't do that. Um, But on the other hand, uh, I also know that all these things that I own, the printer, the TV, the computer, they're prone to break, right? They're going to stop functioning the way they should at some point. And so, you know, somehow the TV is going to get off of its default settings and 
you know, me just sitting on my couch randomly mashing buttons on the remote is probably not going to fix it, right? And, and the printer is going to jam. It's going to stop communicating with the, the computer and all that kind of stuff. And uh, just turning it off and on is probably not going to work. And so that's when I have to get out these manuals and consult them. Um, and so, you know, sooner or later, I find myself flipping to the back of these little owner's manuals that I've saved, um, and, you know, after I've mashed all the buttons I could think to mash, um, I get to the back of that manual to the troubleshooting guide, right? And, and in that guide, I look up my trouble, um, and that guide is supposed to walk me through uh, that trouble and get, th- get things back to functioning properly. And we're starting kind of light this morning uh, with that illustration because we're about to jump into some pretty, I think, heavy and serious stuff this morning. Um, This life, your life, my life, it's broken. Um, It's full of pain. It's full of harm and injustice and suffering. And at times, life is just downright terrible. Um, It's not the way it should be. And there's not a one of us that are immune to this, the brokenness of life. And listen, when the winds of brokenness howl into our lives, right, and and injustice and pain come and rain into our lives, you know what we often do? We start mashing buttons in our lives, um, right? Panic sets in and we feel lost in it. And how do we get out and what went wrong and where has God gone in the midst of this trouble and this pain and this injustice in my life? And how, how do we get back to the default settings at least, you know? How do we, how do we stop it? Look, I hope that you don't write me off immediately and, and just think that I'm being a pessimist this morning. Um, I want you to accept what I'm saying here as realism. I mean, some of you know your stories, and you're in the middle of it right now. You're in the middle of feeling injustice and suffering breaking upon your life. And others of you, it's a memory, but it's, it's still fresh for you. I mean, it doesn't seem all that distant that you are in the midst of this, asking where in the world is God right now in the midst of my pain? And if you haven't been there yet, you just got to wait a little bit longer. Because it's coming, this world, this life, it's broken. And what I'm saying is that with this realism, What we need is a resource that allows us to face the reality of a broken, harmful and sometimes painful world. And I I know it's cheesy, but let me stay with this opening metaphor just for a moment uh, longer. In this passage, I think we have a troubleshooting guide for when life is falling apart. A guide that really does help you, as the title suggests, find grace through pain or in the pain. And and this guide is saying that when pain and evil and injustice and suffering come into your life, you need to answer three questions. These are the troubleshooting guide questions, right? Who's in charge? Where is he in charge? And how is he in charge? And so those are our points this morning. So first, who is in charge? This story about Joseph, a lot of you know it and remember it told from very early on in your lives in Sunday school. Others of you may not be as familiar with it, but it is a familiar story in the Bible to most of us. But I want you to understand that this story about Joseph, it isn't really a story about Joseph. It is, but it isn't. And 
I hope to show you that as we go. So Joseph, as some of you may remember, he was this young man, right, who was hated by his brothers with an intense hatred, right? Um, They wanted to kill him even. But at the last moment, they ended up selling him as a slave so that they could just maybe profit a little bit off of his life. As a slave, he was wrongly and unjustly thrown in prison for years and years of his life. But eventually, if you remember the story, he got out of prison and he rose to a position of second in command of all of Egypt. And during, and during that time, a famine in the land uh, came. And he, because of that famine, right, he gets reunited with his brothers who hated him and had wronged him and done evil to him. Because now they needed him to survive during this famine, okay? And now here are Joseph's brothers, and their father has passed away, and they have become afraid. See verse 15? It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they sent him a message. And basically that message went like this. Daddy said you have to be nice and forgive us. That's what it says in verse 17, basically. My paraphrase, right? So they came with this message and they fell down before Joseph. But look at what Joseph said to them in verse 19. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Right? Think with me for a second. Do you know what is wrong with us at the very core of our lives? I mean, in fact, you can trace all the evil... In the world back to this core. The Bible says that what is wrong with us at the very core is that we all want to and try to be in the place of God. You know, the serpent at the very beginning of the Bible, he showed up in the Garden of Eden in paradise, right? The very beginning of the Bible and whispered to Adam and Eve, right? Take that fruit. That God commanded you not to eat. I think you probably remember that whisper, right? Eat it, he said, and you will be like God. Right? And you know what he's saying there? He's saying, you can take God's place. Right? You can start calling the shots in your life. You can determine what is right and wrong in your life. I've told you this a number of times, but all of us, deep in our hearts... We are very, very suspicious of God. We think he must be keeping good from us, right? He can't be trusted. He doesn't know what's best for me. He's, he got my life wrong, right? I'm better off calling the shots, being in God's place. That right there, that suspicion, the decision to be in God's place and call the shots, it lies beneath. All of our sin, your sin and mine, it lies beneath all your fears, all your worries, all your anger, all the bondage in your life. That suspicion. Now, here's how this plays out in your life and mine when evil and brokenness rains down into our lives. We take charge. We climb into God's place. I mean, how, how do you do that? How do I do that? I mean, we've, a lot of ways, really. We manipulate, 
we despair and we worry. God has obviously gotten this wrong in my life. We compromise and we become deceitful in order to regain control, right? We plot vengeance, a payback in the form of gossip and cold shoulders and the outright rejection of others. Because after all, it's up to us to right the wrongs in our lives. But even more simple than all of that, when Joseph says in verse 19, do not fear Am I in the place of God? Do you realize that he is saying that you take God's place the moment you hold a grudge against anyone in your life? The moment you descend into your self-absorbed self-pity and imagine that you know what that person deserves. The moment you harden your shell and you hold on to bitterness and disappointment, you have climbed into God's place assuming that you know all things. And that you are the accurate judge of all all people's motives. And you know what other people deserve. Don't kid yourself and think that Joseph is just some kind of, he's got rose-colored glasses on here. I mean, he was a victim of violent abuse, of pain, of abandonment, of injustice, and evil. And facing his perpetrators, he says, I refuse to take charge. I refuse to step into God's role. I refuse to take God's place. Joseph has come to see that God is in charge. And if you can do that, let me tell you, it unleashes a powerful beauty into your life and into the world. How so? Um, You know what a vicious cycle is, right? Um, It's when one trouble leads to another that aggravates the first trouble, right? It's It's a cycle, right? So it's like my relationship with exercise. Um... See, I start feeling bad because I'm unhealthy and out of shape. And so I think, you know, I think I'm going to start exercising again. Here it is. It's Monday morning again. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to exercise. And I do that. And three days later, I am in more pain than I was before that because I am so sore and so out of shape. And so I stop exercising and I end up becoming more healthy than unhealthy than even before. Right. It's a vicious cycle. Um. Ask my wife, she can tell you. Um, What happens when you climb into God's place and you don't forgive those in your lives that have wronged you? When you nurse that grudge or when you look for payback for the evil that was done to you, don't you realize that the evil done to you, the moment you do those things, it's winning in your life. And it's now turning you evil in the process. It's a vicious cycle perpetuating the wickedness and the evil of the world. And it's only when you refuse to take charge and take God's place that the cycle can actually be broken. And that is real power and beauty at work. Another preacher puts it like this. But he says that the, iron, the irony here is that the fastest way in your life to become like Satan it, it, is to try and take God's place in your life. And the fastest way for you to become like God is to refuse to be like him. Look, look at the powerful beauty in Joseph's response to his brothers. In refusing to take God's place, he is becoming like God himself. Okay, coming to see that God's in charge leads us to the next question. Where is he in charge? You know, it's easy and it makes good like cross-stitch things that you hang on your walls and stuff to attribute all the good things to God's hand. But what about the pain and the sorrow and the seeming chaos? What about the terribleness of this life? 
that none of us are immune to? Is he really in charge of that too? This passage is asking or forcing that question upon us. You know, the mere mention of this, I think, forces another question to the surface almost immediately, which is, why would God allow this pain and this evil and this suffering to come into, into my life? But let me just ask you to hold on to that question because we're going to get to it in the last point. For now, you need to see that God is in charge of all things, even the darkest and most difficult things in your life. Joseph, Joseph's life is a testimony to this. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, uh, True Spirituality, he was commenting on Romans 8.28 that says, Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who, who have been called according to his purpose. And this is what Schaefer writes. He writes, Here I am told that if I am a true Christian, all things work together for my good. It's not all things except the sorrow. It's not all things except the battle. And then he writes this. We throw the words all things around all things. So look at what Joseph says to his brothers in verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. What is he doing? He is throwing those words all things around all things. Even the intended harm and wickedness of his brothers. The story of Joseph's life, you know, we talked about it. It's familiar to most of us. He's the, the favorite son of his father, right? The kid with the coat of many colors, right? And, and his jealous brothers plotted his destruction. Joseph isn't here ignoring the evil or the pain or the harm. He's calling it out. You intended to harm me. But at the same time, he is saying nothing you did, nothing you did to me, nothing you brought into my life could ever derail my life. Joseph is saying there never is and there never was a plan B with God. He is the God of all things. And that means that no circumstance, no, no matter how trying and painful, no wicked attentions, even evil itself, not even my own failures and my own sin and my own brokenness, can derail God's plans. Joseph's brother's jealousy, if you know the story, it was understandable after all. Joseph was an arrogant little kid who flaunted his position in front of his brothers. But listen, none of it, the whole story, not a bit of it, could ever screw up or derail the God of all things. Do you know this? That there can be no plan B for your life. It is all plan A. And until you see that, you're, gonna, you're going to be miserable. You're going to despair. You're going to be anxious. Real deep freedom comes when your perspective changes. You, and when your perspective changes, you, in a sense, become untouchable and uncrushable and unsinkable when you take this down into the core of your life and believe it. The realism of a painful, broken world is going to be frighteningly paralyzing in your life until you get rid of your nearsightedness and see God working good in all things. The promise of this passage and of the Bible is that there are no plan Bs. And even if it's decades down the roads or generations down the road or even until Jesus comes back again at the end of all things, even... Even if it's not until then that you know how it all fits, God promises you 
that he is at work in all things, even in the wicked intentions of others, the pain and the sorrow. I've used this illustration before, but if you've ever seen a father try to teach his child how to ride a bicycle without training wheels, um, you know how this story goes. You watch these kids and you see the panic uh, right all, all over their faces the moment those training wheels come off um, they are afraid and um, it's because they know instinctively that asphalt is very unforgiving and painful right and every time I've done this with one of my children I can tell you at the moment those training wheels come off and we're going to learn how to real, ride the bike on two wheels there's only there's only one thing that matters to that child and, and See, that child is not concerned about the air pressure in the tires on that day. Um, he, he isn't concerned about even whether or not the brakes work um, or whether the chain's been oiled or, or whatever. The one thing that little kid wants to know is whether or not daddy's hand's going to be on the back of that bike. That's it. Nothing else matters. Right? Comfort and security comes from knowing that no matter what happens, dad has his hands on that bike. He's there. You, you know, asphalt doesn't turn into pillows, right? But the perspective changes, right? That no matter what happens, there is comfort because God is in charge of all things. Working good out of all things. Even the pain in the midst of even your darkest moment. You are being assured here that God is on his throne. That in the midst of the pain and the sorrow, nothing ever happens in your life without first going through God's hands. When your business seems to be going under, when your family is in disarray, when your great ideas have died, when your relationships are strained and you've been betrayed yet again, and your life feels like chaos, God is saying it is not chaos. It can't be chaos if it's all coming through God's hands. When you learn to see life like this, you'll learn how to find you'll learn how to take comfort in the God of all things. Ask the question, where is he in charge? And learn how to throw the word all things, really around all things in your life. Now, listen, we're getting to the third point here. Now, there's some helpful stuff along the way, and I'm ho hoping that you're picking up on that. But troubleshooting guides, they work like this, right? Each diagnostic question leads you to another diagnostic question until you get to the ultimate question and can fix the problem, right? So everything that we have said up to this point, in a sense, has been building to this question here. How is God in charge? And it's not the best way to ask the question. Um, it just kind of fit on the bulletin the best way. Um, but I'm trying to get at this. What is God doing with his control? Right. What is he doing in even the hard and difficult times of your life? Points one and two, they're good and they're true. But if that's all there is, you're still left with a knot in your stomach. Right. Look at what Joseph tells his brothers in verses 20 through 21. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He says, God intended all of that stuff for their good, for the saving of their lives. Remember how I mentioned in the first point how this famine came, right? And it's what eventually reunited Joseph and his brothers. God had allowed his brothers 
to throw him in that well, sell him as a slave, be thrown into prison, allowed a famine to come and scorch the land so that Joseph would be in this position to save these men's lives. And if that's not grace, I don't think I know what it is. Do you know who Joseph's brothers are? Not only are they the ones with these harmful intentions, but beginning in Genesis chapter 37, you can find the names of his brothers kind of scattered throughout the narrative, right? But then they show up in lists in chapter 46 and in chapter 49, just before this chapter. But listen, the very first word of the next book of the Bible in Exodus is a really tiny little Hebrew word. It's called the Vav. It's a, it, 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 it isn't translated in many of your Bibles. You, you won't see it there. It's a simple English conjunction when it's translated. The English equivalent to the word and. Right? Because the author of Exodus is saying, and the story went forward. Because you see, the first chapter of Exodus, it comes back and gives you another list of all those names of the brothers again. Only this time, they are there to show you that the brothers' names have now become the names of all the tribes of Israel. Right? Through all these events, God was building a nation, His treasured possession. And from this nation would come who? Come Jesus. God's own Son. The ultimate Savior of the world. Can you see this? Centuries later, someone even greater than Joseph would come. Someone perfect, someone who had never sinned, God's own son. And if ever there was a time to ask, how is God in charge? What is God doing with his control? This was it. Joseph's life and story were whispering the name of Jesus. The perfect God-man, also hated by his brothers, also sold for 30 pieces of silver, wrongly and unjustly sentenced to death, Consider that scene when all the wicked wicked intentions of man, they just blossom into full force as Jesus was put to death. But you know, don't you, as horrible as that looked, as evil as that really was, there are no plan B's with this God. And he was working cosmic good out of that wickedness. And when Jesus climbed that cross and he went there voluntarily, not retaliating in vengeance or payback, when he went there to die in your place and mine, you know what he was doing, right? He was breaking the cycle of evil. He was crushing the head of the serpent. He was putting it to death. And here's what's really amazing. Because he did that, because he broke the cycle of evil, now you can too in your life. When... When my family lived in Martin, Tennessee, I remember this one particular summer when the air conditioning finally quit working in my little Honda Accord. And it had to have been, the I think it was the hottest summer ever. Um, and uh, we didn't have the money to fix it, so I just had to endure it, right? And it was, every day was 100 degree plus, you know, that summer. And on my way to work and back from work, every day I would pass this house And they had this swimming pool in the backyard. And I drove by it, you know, with the windows down, breaking the speed limit because I was trying to get get a gust of air to come in through the windows. Um, And I drove by it hundreds of times. 
And every day, I was just longing for coolness. I would look in that backyard to see if anybody was swimming. I don't know, vicariously trying to live through them. Oh, that must be nice, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But whatever, you know, I looked back there, and there were like floaties and uh, big tube things, and there were all that kind of stuff scattered around the pool. But I never once that entire summer ever saw a kid in that pool. I never saw, you know, like somebody cannonball off the edge or or whatever, or just floating on a raft. And, and it started to make me mad halfway through the summer. Um, I, I mean, I wanted to knock on that door and grab those kids off of their Nintendo or their Wii or PlayStation or whatever and say, don't you realize you have a pool in your backyard as I'm dripping sweat? Um, but, you know, the point is that I'm trying to make, um, they had this great swimming pool, and they never used it. I mean, never jumped off into cool off during that summer. Never had their friends over to play in that pool from what I saw. Never had any of those, you know, who can hold their breath for the longest contest, those kind of things. Um, And they had this great thing, but they never used it. A lot of the time, this is exactly the way you and I approach the stories of the Bible. We say, oh, that's a great story. But we never take it out. And never use it in our lives. This is truly where you need to jump in the deep end. Because as great as a story about Joseph is. It isn't ultimately a story about Joseph. It's ultimately a story pointing you to Jesus and whispering his name to you. When you finally see these questions answered cosmically. In the person and work of Jesus. Who is in charge? Where is he in charge and how is he in charge? When you see that big picture of God working good out of evil, you can finally start breaking the cycle in the smaller pictures of your life and mine. And this is why. Because when life seems to be spinning out of control and when the terribleness of life breaks on you and when evil threatens to just, you know, just undo you at the seams, right? When you are tempted to take charge and right all the wrongs, in your life because God seems so absent and so uninvolved and he seems to have abandoned you. Please remember this. It only feels that way in your life if you belong to Jesus. It only feels out of control. It only feels like you will be undone. It only feels like you've been abandoned. Because there was one man, Jesus Christ, who was really undone for you who was really abandoned and cut off for you, even in the pain and the sorrow. This story is saying, remember this, you are loved beyond degree. And when you take that down into your life, you will finally find the power to start start breaking the cycle of evil and putting sin to death in your life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you and confess that the panic and despair and anxiety, it jumps into our lives in the midst of pain and suffering and injustice. And we confess that it does that because we fail to think through the big story. We fail to take the story of your word and actually use it in our lives. 
We fail to see how you indeed are the God of all things. We fail to look at the story of Jesus and see there. This is the grand picture of it. How you use evil to accomplish good and great things. How you use the wicked intentions of man to accomplish the salvation of many. Father, we pray that we would we would see and understand this this picture. And that we would take it down into the smaller pictures of our lives to be reminded. That we cannot be abandoned. We cannot be undone. We cannot be cut off if we are in Jesus. For he was all those things for us on the on the cross. And Father, when we understand that we have been loved like this, we pray that it would work out in our lives in real practical ways. And instead of paying back, instead of seeking vengeance, instead of gossiping, we would stop and find the power to break the cycle, just as Jesus did in our place on the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.